anyway, so father said, he looked at me and he said, uh, so I think in your vocation, you know, you have to, and I kind of finished his sentence. I said, I have to depend on my spouse, Jesus, to take care of me. I have to let him take care of me. That's how I combat this, you know, anxiety about the future. And then, and he said, and you also have to let people take care of you. Like let people who you trust and love, um, you know, be Christ to you because sometimes that's how he takes care of you, you know, is through people. And I've certainly, I've experienced that in some really beautiful ways, being part of the community at JPG. Welcome. It's Le Bon Vie, The Good Life, uh, the podcast for John Paul the Great Academy, where we talk about the good life and the good ways of pursuing it. I'm joined with the good deacon, Deacon Adam Conk. How are you doing today? I'm great, but I'm a little sad because it's the last episode with Emily Byers. And this has been such a great conversation. I get so excited when I talk to our great faculty here at John Paul the Great Academy. And the sadness is communally shared. Oh, y'all are so kind. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and putting up with us for a third episode. Well, I mean, I put up with you guys every day, so. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> but it's, we did not lock in a, a room joy. together with microphones. But today we are. This yeah. is pretty fun. Well, I'm I'm ex- very excited to have you again on this third episode. Um, you've been at the school. This is your 10th year. Uh, this is my 11th year. And so we've we've shared this journey. And... We've had so many conversations over the years, so many deep conversations. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to kind of make some of that available for others. Yeah. While I'm glad there there wasn't a microphone recording us in the past, because <laughs> yeah, there's been some vulnerable moments. Yeah, like the times I came and burst into tears in your room or like in the sacristy. And I was like, what do I do? I just love my students and I want them to love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And and we, I think I teared up at that moment, yeah, too. Because that's happened a few times. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's so hard. Uh, the trials of spiritual parenthood. Yes, yes, and and loving other people. Yeah, um, being with human beings, being zealous about sharing the gospel can be incredibly painful. But well, it's personal, you might say, personal, which is our topic today. <laughs> um, but you know, talk last episode about discernment of vocations within the context of community, both we receive that discernment communally and we also are being sent to a community to serve. And today we're going to talk about what that means, this communion of persons, an idea very important for John Paul the Great himself, you know, his teaching, and also for our experience in our community at John Paul the Great. And y'all just brought up some some great little gems I'd love to to pick apart if we can. But uh but before we do, so what is a person? What does that mean to you, Emily? If I say like your students are persons, what does that mean? Um, my first thought is that it means that they were created by God with a dignity that is equal to mine. And that that means that I need to treat them accordingly. So I, I often think of this is not the quote that I was going to talk about in a second, but I think of John Paul II saying, you know, that 
um, people are to be loved and never to be treated as objects of use. You know, so in his theology of the body, differentiating that idea that um, loving people and using them or objectifying them, uh, those things are antithetical to each other. And so when I think of my students as persons, I think of their um, being made in the image of God and the dignity that they have that calls me to respect them and to treat them with that dignity. So made in the image of God, God himself is three persons, right? One being three persons. Um, this mystery of the Trinity really, it won't make sense to us in a daily living if we don't have this idea of a personhood of people in front of us, because the image of God can mean so many things to us if we don't see that persons are created with an eternal destiny. They're loved and created by God to be with him forever. And as a teacher, this must be very important to put up with the day-to-day shenanigans that may go on, <laughs> to remind yourself that these persons are created by God to live with him forever, and that the present moment is but a step in, the, in that direction, right? And that as human beings, you know, in my vocation, in all of our, our vocation to holiness— these persons that are before me are the face of Christ for me, you know, in my day-to-day life. Mm. So whether that's like within my household, within my family, or, you know, in my work, the persons that are in my periphery, they are the way that I love Christ, the way that he's asking me to love him. You know, Mother Teresa was so good at uh, highlighting that truth of the gospel for us, that any act of service that I do is done for Christ. Um, And so... You know, maybe sometimes I have to have a difficult conversation and write a demerit, like for Jesus <laughs> and out of love for Jesus, you know, which those are things my students know that I don't enjoy doing. Um, but that is, you know, how in that moment Christ is asking me to to imitate him and to love him, to bring him to life in someone else. Yeah, and you talked in a in a one of our previous episodes about the importance of Christ's words uh, before the passion, I will not leave you orphans. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful idea as a teacher to know that one of the ways that Christ is present to us is through those around us. Um, Yeah, and that that big part of uh, Pope St. John Paul the Great's philosophy of the human person is his his personalism. This notion of of, the human being uh, one of the m- most fundamental ideas is them as person. One of the books we read a lot um, about Catholic classical education is Stratford Caldecott's Beauty in the Word. Mm-hmm. And in his section where he tries to motivate what is a classical Catholic philosophy of education, it's interesting that he he doesn't point to Aristotle or he doesn't point to an ancient source, but he sees the great tradition as... Um, being highlighted in Pope St. John Paul the Great's personalism. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he, John Paul II is such a good example for me as a classical educator because he was a teacher, you know, he was a professor, um, but he also ministered to young people um, in such a unique way, especially, you know, the times that he would take them out of the classroom and, you know, go kayaking with them and kind of all these things that inspired our pilgrimage program in upper school. Um, I think that he he was able to be effective as a teacher and as an evangelizer because his students knew that he saw them as persons. 
um, that they weren't just names on a roster. You know, they weren't just little vessels to be filled with information. Um, and I think that's something beautiful about classical education and, and the way that we practice it at JPG is that the teacher is not just, you know, a source of information. The student is not just a vessel for information, but we're all persons. You brought up earlier this idea of that person in front of you being a gift to me. And I, I think it's an important aspect of the conversation that persons are gifts. And it's so humbling to me to read uh, in John 17 when Jesus is talking to the Father and he's talking about the church and he says, they are your gift to me, mm-hmm. that I am a gift to Christ is crazy. You know, what a, what a strange gift to give someone that he would give. But but this is the reality that every person as created is created as part of, part of the Father's love for the Son, that the Father would give the Son me as a gift. And then the Son receiving that gift gives that person back to the Father as a pure and spotless bride in the church. And this, I guess, is the fundamental desire we all have, that the people that are important in our life, if we're students, the teachers in our life, that they see this gift that we actually are and want to receive that gift. And to me, that's one of the beautiful things at John Paul the Great Academy is there's so many adults who don't just look at our students as another number, another student, another um, task, right? But these people are actually gifts. Even the the challenging moments are gifts. I think that that's in a lot of ways that sums up how I've experienced spiritual motherhood. Like I talked about, I think, on one of the other episodes. Um, it's It's kind of a bizarre experience to be able to simultaneously uh, be incredibly frustrated with (laughs) someone or by someone. Um, I won't, of course, name any particular students, but I think you know who you are. Um, (laughs) Joseph Markintel. No, I'm kidding. Joseph. There's a clash of personalities, you know, where sometimes it's, it's, there's some friction in a relationship, you know, this idea of like iron sharpening iron, where um, either there's a struggle to communicate or, there's some type of bias, right, on the part of the child or the part of the teacher. Maybe the child says, I hate this subject, you know, or I just don't like this teacher. I don't understand anything she says or something like that. Um, or I can say, gosh, so-and-so, you know, he's always been a troublemaker. He's been like this since seventh grade. And those things can really block the Holy Spirit. You know, they can make it difficult for me to look at someone and say, this is the face of Christ for me today. But what I've experienced, I think, through grace, you know, through God slowly taking me and forming me is I can be simultaneously so frustrated and so just, you know, irritated or impatient, but I can look at a child and I still, the love that I have experienced for them, I know has to be grace and has to be the fruit of my vocation because it's so strong and it's totally illogical. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. Like I'm like, you have done nothing to deserve this affection from me, but I also like, I can't get rid of it. Like you don't reciprocate it. You probably don't even care that I love you this much. You know, I hope they do. I hope they believe me. And I hope, you know, you always hope that it's reciprocated, but the love is still there. You know, I can look at them in all of their imperfection and their frustrating characteristics and say, gosh, I still love you so much. I wish that you knew how much I love you. And if I can love you that much, being an imperfect person Think of how much Jesus loves you. Yeah, that's that's always been a very powerful moment whenever I get to experience that as a teacher as well, that, you know, the frustration of teaching in a way that respects the person, which means that uh, just as 
the students have to exercise their will to learn, they can not. They can they can choose not to. Um, and the, you know the frustration of I want these great things for you. Um, I want you to have an extraordinary life, and I'm trying to invite you into that. And but I can't force you to receive it. Right, and then turning. Lord, how do you put up with me? I know. Yeah. I had a really powerful experience actually a couple years ago. I want to say it was the last time when we went on the March for Life pilgrimage. Um, we were in adoration. And I shared this on the trip with some of the students that I was kind of sitting in the back of the room uh, watching the entire community before me sort of pray in the presence of the Lord. Um, and I think Father Abadie was, you know, hearing confessions like in another room and all of the sudden it was just sort of this, one of those like lightning bolt moments of something that I knew was true, but suddenly I knew that it was true. You know, um, I looked at the students all praying and I said, gosh, you know, I just, I'm so grateful for the gifts of these children, you know, to be part of my life. I love them so much. Um, and then Jesus, you know, sort of spoke to my heart and he said, yeah, that's how I feel about you. <laughs> that was a lot to process. I mean, like, of course, I've heard Jesus tell me he loves me before, you know, mm. I wouldn't have married him if I didn't think he loved me, you know, but that was mind blowing for him to sort of take that experience that I was having with the students and then turn it around and say, see, this is what this is supposed to be showing you the whole time. This is what you're supposed to be taking away from this experience with all of its trial and difficulty you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have experienced that as dads as well, right? You look at your kids and you're just like, ah, I didn't know I could love somebody this much. It's terrifying. <laughs> it is. It, well, it, it's one of those many Wonderful ways, and terrifying. Wonderful and terrifying. And how God incarnates his love for us, uh, primarily through Jesus, but also he incarnates that love very, very vividly. And, and the people we're called to love. And the people we are also called to let them love us. Yeah. That was one of the big fruits of my summer retreat that I made this summer. Uh, I try to go on a retreat sometime around my consecration anniversary. And um, I was in silence for a couple of days and then praying with the brothers and sisters at the Community of Jesus Crucified. Um, and I had a little conversation with Father Champagne just to kind of wrap up my retreat. Um, uh, and And I was... I don't know what I was saying to him that prompted this advice, but he said, um, you know, Emily, like you're always, you're so, uh, worried about the future, you know, and, and worried about like what's going to happen or trying to kind of like predict or, you know, like control things that are going to happen. Uh, and he said, this is a, this is a uniquely feminine problem. Like women are sort of wired to, um, want security, right? Because we're made to be mothers. So like we're made, we're kind of hardwired to be looking for how do I make sure that everybody is safe and taken care of? And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like my style of leading pilgrimage is kind of totally different from like the male teachers, you know, when we're like leading kids. Um, I'm always worried about like, you know, like, is everybody taken care of? Like, are they all okay? Does anybody need like, you know, Tylenol or something? Um, <laughs> Anyway, so father said, he looked at me and he said, uh, so I think in your vocation, you know, you have to, and I kind of finished his sentence. I said, I have to depend on my spouse, Jesus, to take care of me. I have to let him take care of me. That's how I combat this, you know, anxiety about the future. 
And then, and he said, and you also have to let people take care of you. Like let people who you trust and love, um, you know, be Christ to you because sometimes that's how he takes care of you, you know, is through people. And I've certainly, I've experienced that in some really beautiful ways being part of the community at JPG. Well, it's Le Bon Vie um, podcast, The Good Life. And part of The Good Life is, as we're having this conversation, recognizing that others are a gift, but also recognizing that we, we're we a gift to others too. And that can, that can be that can be a really hard thing to do um, because, I mean, pride and insecurity and all these other things kind of prevent us from being willing to accept help or even being willing to, to recognize that, that we need help. And God has provided people already in our lives to give us that help. Well, and I think if we approach our work this way, if we think of the people who've been entrusted to us, right? So as parents or as teachers, as spiritual parents, um, you know, looking at the young people who we are trying to help raise up as saints, um, if we look at them, you know, and then we think to ourselves like this child is a gift to me. I mean, it changes everything. It changes how we speak to them, how we discipline them, the responsibility that we entrust to them, like we talked about earlier. Um, you know, this idea of um, this child is is has something to teach me. You know, God has placed them here also to teach me something. Um, and that's part of the gift that they are to me. Um, maybe it's to teach me patience or humility, <laughs> um, yep. lessons that I don't want to learn, you know? Right. Or, or who knows, as long as we're, we're open or recognize that um, their image of God is a window into this fullness of God that no one else will communicate to us. Well, and part of the classical model, too, you know, that we try to implement is that learning is a communal activity. It's not something that I'm meant to do in isolation by myself. Um, and that's why we have these sort of, you know, these seminar classes in the older grades where we don't just read a text and then answer questions about it and then we're done. You know, what do we do? We ask a question. We delve deeply into a theme or a truth or an idea and we sort of deconstruct and then reconstruct it together. And that's the work of learning. And that's something that I think sometimes, you know, we can be resistant to for different reasons, um, partly because it involves risk mm -hmm. and discomfort. Um, but well, it's necessary. And, and it's unsettling, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, but. I mean, Christ, Christ is unsettling, like his love. Um, and, and when we see uh, the love that's incarnate in that face, um, it's unsettling. And, and it's supposed to be because, as we say often with, with forming children, it takes a village. But when it comes to salvation, it takes a trinity. And to enter into that, the life of that trinity, we have to let go of, of the old and embrace the new always, all the time. Yeah. And I, like you said, facing, facing the Lord, you know, feels like a scary thing, but that's how we figure out who we are. You know, that's how we, like we talked about in a previous episode, that's how we discern his will for us. We can only do that if we encounter him and enter into a relationship with him. If I, if I don't have a relationship with the Lord, I will be filled with vocation anxiety and with anxiety about the future. Right. You know, like if I don't have a relationship with him, I'm going to think that, uh, 
my vocation or that even just the Christian life is like this, you know, like in the old Looney Tunes, like the anvil that used to like fall on it. What was it? Wiley Coyote and like smush him. Like yeah. That's how I'm going to think about, you know, that's what God's doing to me. Or like he's like a monster hiding around a corner, you know, or something. And like when I just like make myself vulnerable enough, he's going to he's going to jump out and like just, <laughs> you know, totally crush me or like ruin my life. That's how I'm going to think if I don't have a personal relationship. But if I know Jesus and I spend time with him and I know his face and I know his voice, like he talks about as the good shepherd, you know, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they know me. If I know his voice and I can listen for it, then I'll be less afraid and I'll be able to say, oh, I can walk confidently toward God's will for me because I know that it's not just going to crush me like an anvil. Like that's not. That's not part of the plan. Right. Yeah. I love that Looney Tunes image because I often think, um, you know, anxiety without love turns into apathy. And um, another Looney Tunes image, you know, when they run off the cliff, (laughs) as long as they don't look down, they're still moving. Right. (laughs) Right. But I I think that that speaks. like walking on water. That's exactly what I was going to get to. That, you know, the. The call of Christ, Christ calls St. Peter out of the boat, um, and that call is to to place our gaze on him and, and not to place our gaze on where our feet are going necessarily. And remember that the persons in our life are not distractions from that gaze, but rather a particular invitation to look at Jesus square in the face. And as parents at, at the community, from lower school to upper school, there are going to be opportunities of different personalities to stare in the face of Christ with someone that just hurt my kid or someone that just said something about my kid or someone that didn't give me the response I wanted. Maybe they're on faculty and staff. Like there's going to be all these opportunities and we can either disrespect people's dignity by putting a label on them in our minds. Like they're just mean or they're just bullies or they're just, there's a problem with them. Or we can say, all right, Christ is calling me, this person is a gift, to stare at him in the face in this difficult situation that I don't enjoy, like Peter in the water or something like that. Yet it's in this that I'm actually going to learn the virtue he's calling me to. Because if we're only just to the people we like, to paraphrase, what good is there in that? Even the pagans do that. If we're only patient with the ones we like or the ones we're amiable to, what patience is there in that, right? So being one of the benefits of being in a big school community is there's lots of personalities and sometimes we're going to clash, but this is not a problem. This is part of the program. It makes me think of that Dorothy Day quote where she says, I only actually love Christ as much as I love the person I like the least. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's really challenging. And, And I can turn that around to myself and say, you know, in my relationships with my colleagues or with my students, you know, like, do I really see everyone as a gift or do I just gravitate toward the people that I like or the people who I prefer, Mm -hmm. you know, or do I really lean into that call to love the person before me as Christ? Like St. Benedict says in the rule of St. Benedict, it's my favorite thing to read in church history, um, receive everyone as Christ, right? He would tell his monks to receive guests to the monastery as if they were receiving Jesus himself and to treat them accordingly. Um, And so I think, you know, if we did that, that would certainly help us to progress on the path to holiness. And there's, there's some practical wisdom in that um, as far as dealing with interpersonal conflict, right? Which is something in the modern world we tend to want to avoid. 
um, we think that that's harmful. Or but, we throw ourselves into it, you know, in com boxes on the internet in a way that's like really <laughs> unhelpful. Um, but yeah, conflict can really be a an invitation to a personal relationship. And I know for me, as a teacher, it's easy to to label the person who who I think is the source of the conflict, and that label is a stumbling block for seeing them as a person. So, one of the practical things that that has been profound in helping me see. Christ in that person is letting go of where I think they're coming from. Because mm-hmm. I only have that label for them because I have an assumption about where they're right. coming from. Instead of making an assumption. Right. To admit, maybe I just don't know. Or let them reveal to me. And speak for themselves. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And our bitterness and resentment and frustrations with people say as much about us as it does about them. And like oh, St. Totally. Aug- Augustine said, you know, the... Uh, we only feel resentment for the sins of others if we also commit that same sin. Because, I mean, think about how many people do bad things to us throughout the day that we don't necessarily get all flustered about. And then sometimes people do things that aren't even sinful. You mean our children? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that aren't even sinful, but they bother us. And it's usually because we do that same action. It's like this resonance within ourself of our own fault, our own failing. And so there's an opportunity for personal growth it's if we the feel beam. resentment. It's the beam in our eye. That's so uncomfortable that I don't want to admit is there. Man, that, I don't know. For me, the biggest challenge of that is driving. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, we turn, we all turn into animals when we drive. I don't understand it. We lose or our... you're just, or there's people like me who people in the car with me get frustrated because I'm not frustrated because <laughs> I'm just phlegmatic, you know, I'm just going, I'm like not in a hurry. Well, yeah. I'm probably, I'm probably the reason why Kyle gets frustrated when he's <laughs> driving because I'm driving too slow. No, I'm a slow driver. I, oh. um, I approach driving in many ways. Like I approach my life with my children I have to leave room for other people's mistakes. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm the guy that's going to leave, you know, two two car uh, spaces between me and the vehicle in front of me because uh, just like we want to leave room for providence in our lives. Um, and for, for me with my children, I need to leave room and space for them uh, to make catastrophic decisions. <laughs> and uh, I approach driving like that. I want other people to be able to make catastrophic decisions and to have the time and space to respond to them in a loving way. And I just can't understand why everyone else doesn't drive like that. <laughs> like leave room for bad things to happen. <laughs> just leave room for it. It's but very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easy for me to label others when they're driving terribly and like, oh, like you, so you inconsiderate. Yeah. Inconsiderate. <laughs> well, Emily, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea of labels. Uh, I remember this book we all read as a faculty many years ago, but um, I have called you friends, and it was this examination of Christian friendship. But one of the essential aspects of friendship was this idea of respect, looking again at someone. And when it comes to personhood, respecting the person is a very important idea, that I can look at the person again and not just see the past, but see the person in front of me in the present. Um, and you have students now that you've seen grow up from little, little babies to maybe seniors this year, right? Maybe you could coach our parents a little bit on this fact that like, yeah, we're going to accompany these kids from when they're really small, but they have room to grow. Like we, we have to develop this idea of respecting them, looking at them again, year after year. Yeah, coaching parents. I don't feel qualified to do that. That's really intimidating. <laughs> you might be more qualified no, than most well, teaching for 10 yeah, years. Yeah, so I mean, so teaching 
for 10 years. It's, I mean, some of my students have grown up and they've gotten married and, or they're, um, you know, about to be ordained, you know, to priestly ministry. Um, and so I think what's interesting is, is sometimes we laugh, you know, when we reminisce and we look back, um, Joseph Markin tells a great example. He won't mind if I call him out. Um, I mean, when he was in middle school, he was so hyper and just like full of ideas and just so difficult to sort of rein in, you know, um, but he has so many gifts. And so I could see that kind of glimpse, you know, I think of the quote from, um, the gospel about John the Baptist, uh, you know, what then will this child be? You know, mm. I sort of think that sometimes when I have a student <laughs> who is just a lot, you know, they've got a lot of energy or a lot of words or a lot of ideas, or they're sometimes they don't always think before they do things, you know, which is actually really common, you know, when you're teaching teenage boys. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. But I, you know, so there's, to me, that's actually, it's a source of, of hope and of delight to look at a child, even in the midst of not necessarily, you know, I don't know maybe how to deal with them in this moment, but I can ask that question, Lord, what then will this child become? You know, cause God certainly has a plan in mind for the type of, you know, life that he's thought of from all eternity for this child, you know, he has a vocation, he has a mission, he has gifts and, um, you know, his unique personhood to sort of develop and show forth to the world. Um, and so I think, you know, in different moments that can seem difficult to see or difficult to grasp. Um, but especially working with older students, I've learned, uh, you know, in working with teenagers that they need space, they need time and they need space to form their personality and to struggle and to, you know, like Kyle said, to mess up, to make mistakes. Now, of course, we do the best we can as parents and spiritual parents to prevent them from making catastrophic mistakes or, you know, mistakes that could like put themselves at risk in some way. So we want to advise them against those things, but we can let them make, I guess, you know, what you would call like safe mistakes. You know, we can, we can, give them grace as much grace as they need, you know, cause God never stops giving us grace. And so to be frustrated by their imperfections or by growth that we want to see in them on our timeline mm. is not the way that God deals with us at all, you know, or I mean, thank goodness. Like he doesn't deal with me in that way. He gives me the time and the space to receive him and to be transformed and doesn't demand that I change um, in a moment. You know, it's the, it's the work of time for me to be converted. And so I have to give my students, my spiritual children, that same grace um, and understand that, uh, yeah, that they're still, they're forming who they are. That's a powerful idea for teachers and parents alike. Um, God, this notion of God's time. And God's providence for that other person, we're a part of it. And that's why, you know, I think a lot about driving, um, especially with my kids, because if I am not um, attentive to my own movement, then I'm likely to collide into them when they make a mistake instead of responding to their choice. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I think it's such a powerful idea to what, what you're talking about that we're able to love um, the agape with God's love 
by having received that in our own life, by by being patient with the Lord's movement in our own life, that is the very patience we'll be able to extend to others. So this is Le Blanc Vie, um, The Good Life. We're here with Miss Emily Byers, and you brought us a great quote uh, today from Pope St. John Paul II. So I'd like I'd like to turn to that at this moment now. Yeah, so this is um, John Paul II quoting the uh, document from the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, um, but he referred to this quotation often. The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam, the first man, was a figure of him who was to come, namely Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So I'm going to reread just that last sentence because that's the that's the part that I wanted to quote. Mm. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So that's that's a quote that I think of often from John Paul II because this idea that it is in Christ, it is in the God-man that I see who I am as a human being. Um, of course, is in some ways, it's an inexhaustible mystery. Like, what does that mean that I look at Christ and I see who I am? Um, and, and I realize my calling, you know, clearly. Um, but I think my calling is to conform my life to his. So to live a life um, following the example of Christ. Um, but also Christ as the beloved of the father reveals who we are as the father's beloved. And so for mm-hmm. me, that's something that I know I need to uh, deepen constantly my understanding of that I'm a beloved daughter of the father, because that's the only way that I'll be able to communicate that identity to others, but to help them realize their identity. Yeah. And, and to have the peace to be struggling upward. You know, yeah. that that um, we fail a lot and that failure in the eyes of the father um, is not one of blame. It's not one of shame, but rather, you know, at the very heart of the nature of person is that mystery uh, that there's always something sacramental about the person. Uh, the person has this sign that points to someone else, but that 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 bond is love that pointing to is love, just like. You know, each person of the Trinity, their their very person is revealed all the more in their love for the other members of the Trinity. You know, the love, of, the redemptive love of the Father, um, is made most clear and most present in the loving obedience of the Son, and the Son, he, his love um, of presence that he wants to be present. He wants to um, not leave us orphans, right? And that love uh, begets. Or, or rather shows us more faithfully who the Holy Spirit is as that abiding presence. And so, yeah, it's quite a challenge. Do, do we see ourselves as person, as that mystery? And do we relate to others in, in their personhood as this mystery? Yeah, I love this quote. I really do. I'm going to think about it later. But this idea that the greatest expression of our personal dignity is to hear the Father's voice to us, right? And for our students and for our faculty, for our parents, I mean, what we want most for all of us is that we would actually hear 
the Father's love for us and respond to it personally. And we are going to make mistakes, but mistakes, if they're not sinful, can be acts of love. For example, my four-year-old son who wants to help clean up or help you know, drive in a nail or something like that, he's going to do it wrong. But if it's out of love and this idea of unity with me, then it, it tends to perfection. It's not sinful. And this is possible to live this way. And this is what we want for our students. And I think John Paul the Great Academy strives to be this community where we're going to encourage each other to that perfection of love, charity, which is the bond of perfection, and make all the mistakes that aren't sins. And if we make sinful mistakes, we're going to deal with it and learn how to not do that again. But if it's done out of love, then we're actually growing in perfection to one another. And, you know, to learn even with our sins, even to learn how to allow those to be opportunities to draw near, you know, to draw near mm-hmm. to the Lord, to be reconciled to him um, instead of having them be a source of shame um, or a, a source of discouragement that's going to prevent me from wanting to dare, you know, to be holy. If I see those sins as opportunities to have a savior, you know, to be saved by Christ and to be reconciled and also to be sometimes, you know, our sins make us, uh, you know, in need of reconciliation with others, Yeah, you know? And so it's a, it's an opportunity sometimes also to draw near or to draw near to someone who I know loves me and who I can trust and to ask for accountability or to, to ask for forgiveness, um, which is so hard, so unpleasant, but such a source for grace, you know, living in a community. Absolutely. And the community of my classroom, I try to incarnate that with the policy of you can't apologize unless you can concretely express hope for our our restored relationship. Because, you know, so often we just want to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, but do you really mean it? Right. And is it is it for something that made you uncomfortable or for something that you did wrong? Because if you can't express how to make amends and hope for our relationship, then you shouldn't apologize. And like for me, trying to live that out, that that's really difficult. Yeah, because it involves a commitment to being better. It involves like a resolution. It's personal. It's personal. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I'm I'm afraid it's over. But we're going to do this again one day, maybe one day soon. One it's day. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Byers. You're very welcome. It's and- Le Bon Vie. Join us again next time. We'll have more great conversation to encourage all of us to live at this wonderful intersection of classical Catholic Cajun life. I'm Deacon Adam Koch. I'm Calabrado. And until next time, live, live the good life. 